Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review, bringing you the Down to Business podcast, our weekly foray into all things business in New Hampshire. Uh, today, we're going to go back to, a, to our old chestnut of a topic that began in March, and that's going to be talking a little bit about how the effects of COVID-19 have had, what they have had on uh, our business community, on the, on the state's economy. And in the most recent edition of New Hampshire Business Review, uh, Bob Sanders, our crack reporter, who just was named Journalist of the Year by the New Hampshire Press Association, by the way, uh, he did a really pretty interesting piece on going in, digging into the applications that businesses around the state made uh, when they sought the money from the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, from the Main Street Fund that the state did, because in that they have to basically estimate their losses. And Bob totaled up all that, and it is... Uh, it's not the most encouraging number in the world, but Bob, uh, maybe you could fill us in a little bit more about what, what you found in uh, your scouring of these applications. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, when it's hot out, people say, well, how hot is it? Um, and, uh, and, and people really want to know the temperature, you know, and they want to know how hot it is exactly where they are. So, um, Everybody knows that businesses is losing money, but how much money? And this is just a tip of the iceberg number because it doesn't include, it only includes those who went for the, the Main Street Fund, which is the, the governor set that up um, to basically help people cover the drop in revenue from pre-COVID last year to what is expected this year. Um, and uh, and then they got a percentage of their expected drop in revenue minus the federal help they get from programs like the PPP. So combining those two two numbers, uh, both both programs released uh, um, their recipients. So the PPP was very limited, but both of them re released some. Uh, recipients and we looked through those databases and did some reverse engineering knowing that they lost 17 percent and uh, uh, they, they're getting 17 percent of those losses and that they're getting some ppp money and using the formula we uh come up with the figure of about uh um almost 2.6 billion dollars of losses um and uh, so that that is, and again, that's a small amount of, uh, not a small amount, I mean, but it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a picture. It's, just a uh, piece it's of not the total lost. amount. Yeah, yeah, it's a piece of it. And we also could look at different companies and see how much the individual companies lost that got those those uh, ranges. And this is a prediction. It's not actually how much they lost. And it's not even how much they lost, but how much their revenue dropped from last year. Is now in in this in, in this uh, story, you talk about specifically some of these businesses that have done this. Is this uh, is it is it something that you, they expect more than anything? They don't know for sure yet what's going to happen. They just they're anticipating these losses. And what happens if they don't have the losses they anticipate? Well, we don't know. Um, 
they uh, the the revenue department has said, I mean the and the Gopher, which is the governor's organization that spends this money uh, that they give out in the Main Street Fund, and that comes from the feds uh, from the CARES Act. Um, they they sort of said that well. Uh, you know, if you don't have the anticipated losses, you might have to pay some of that back. Um, so it starts out as a grant and it might become a loan, which is kind of the reverse of the Paycheck Protection Program, which starts out as a loan. And if it's forgiven, you'd be a grant. But in any case, uh, so we're not sure what happens if they don't get those anticipated losses they may get to keep some of it. And that's what's tricky about this because it's a guessing game. And many, some business, one person told us that they are just worried about what will happen in the next quarter and they're getting the money in just in case. So we're not sure. And then there's a lot of businesses that didn't even apply for Main Street or were not eligible to apply for Main Street. Um, because uh, you have to have $20 million in revenue to, to, uh, to qualify. So for instance, uh, uh, the company that owns the Business Review, uh, Yankee Publications, they, they did not uh, um, apply because they no, just had a little bit too much revenue. You, can't, you had to have less than 20 million, basically, to, to apply. You had to be under Yeah, you have to have less than 20 yeah. million. So the yeah. large company that might have a lot of losses or expected drop in revenue anyhow, that's not counted in this number. Now, could you talk a little about the kind of businesses that you saw that, I, mean, I guess what you did was uh, look at the businesses that applied for the most money and, and ha did you, was it was there a certain groups of kinds of businesses, what industries they were in or was it, was it across the board? It was all across the board. I mean, it was, law firms, it was restaurants, it was, uh, there were some companies that made medical supplies, um, which you'd think do, would do very well. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's one company that I talked to, which is called Air Solutions and Balancings. They, they, uh, they got the most, uh, now uh, this is a company that got the biggest PPP loan of the ones that were released and the uh and the and the biggest uh amount of uh from the uh from main street was 350,000 so that it could be uh, 350,000 is the maximum even if their losses would say they should get more um and uh and uh, they they uh they deal with indoor ventilation which is really hot right now. I mean, they're they're testing uh, nursing homes for it. Everybody's looking into it, uh, but they still expect they then they're just starting that. They usually work with um, companies that are building new construction, and they have certain standards that they have to meet for the indoor vent ventilation, and so that's what they work with. And now they're trying to get this COVID. Um, business going saying well you were built your you why don't you check your ventilation and talk about renovating your building uh, but that is relatively new and it's not picked up as much uh, 
it's a lot of money to renovate mm -hmm. and and do that. So that they're not uh, they're not getting that much business for that, and uh, they're hoping their losses won't be as bad as they expect. But it, it's right now they're expecting uh, somewhere from uh, 2.5 to 3 million. And again, by losses, I mean drop in revenue. Yeah, it's I, I was I, you know looking at the list that we publishes to company to accompany the story. I find it interesting that there are one of the top five or uh, in, in terms of the uh, the biggest uh, money, the most money they, the companies that got the most money from the main the state program the Main Street Fund was the Magic Foods Group, which is a which is a chain of restaurants, high end restaurants, the Canoe, Owen in. in uh, the Owen uh, Concord and and uh, a couple of restaurants, restaurant in Sunapee and the Lakes region, and they were one of them. And then I also noticed that there are other of the larger ones are all restaurants, and that that's the kind of stuff that that makes sense when you think about it, because restaurants have really taken a big hit by this. But like when you mention these things about these companies, these other companies, it does make you realize the breadth of the. Uh, of what what's the of the effects of the, of COVID on on our economy? I mean, it's not, it's uh, it's a little it's it's a little disturbing. Let's put it that way. I, I might I might I don't know how else to put it. I just think that it's uh, it really makes you realize how how widespread this is. Yes, I, I talked to the uh, the head of that restaurant chain, and he said that 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 the losses that's a conservative number. You know, so thinking that it might be worse than that. Um, you know, he he actually had to close down one of the restaurants during the pandemic uh, in Bedford, I believe. Um, yeah. And uh, and he's uh, you know, the, the I mean, they I mean, the governor announced that they were you know they can now the restaurants can go to a hundred percent. He only had one restaurant or maybe two in. The, air, the counties that had to be restricted to 50%, but he didn't think uh, um, that would make much difference because uh, of this, you know, the, the distance between the tables are is still effectively 50%, and he's really worried what happens when the cold weather hits. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons he's anticipating uh, that. Yeah, there's been reporting about that, that. Uh, Many of the restaurateurs, uh, after the uh, governor lifted the limits, are saying, "Well, actually, I saw one quote. They said it was a big nothing burger. It's not going to make that much of a difference. Fifty percent, hundred percent, if it's got the social distancing rules in place." Anyway, Bob, yeah. we're going to take a break right now. So I just want to say thanks very much for uh, for filling us in on this, and we'll be uh, right back. Okay, once again, we're going to switch gears and uh, go to another topic. Maybe it's a little bit more hopeful than the one we've been talking about. Uh, I got Lisa Ryla, our associate editor, who's been for several years now has been covering uh, an issue that's you know very important around the state, and it's particularly in state in parts of the state where uh, economic development is still somewhat lacking. And uh, she's covering you know, the expansion of broadband or the attempt to expand broadband in those areas. And Lisa. There's been some uh, movement on this now, and could you talk a little bit about what you've been re reporting on? Yeah, well, uh, the state of New Hampshire received $1.25 billion from the CARES Act, 
and $50 million of that uh, the state had allocated to potentially, uh, you know, help broadband projects that were in this sweet spot, really. It wasn't those that had signed contracts already with the towns, but those that were maybe on the verge of either happening or not happening. Uh, so the governor announced that he did receive enough applications to um, dole out at least $14 million to build out broadband in 17 towns. Um, not all of them are town-wide projects, but um, I mean, it's, it's significant for these small towns like uh, Colebrook, New Hampshire, Hinsdale, uh, Mason, Lempster, Bristol, that could benefit from broadband expansion. Yeah, now under this, this money, I understand there's a little uh, controversy on this because uh, because they get the money and they have to basically build out the broadband by by December 31st. Is that uh, first of oh all, by is December? That, is, that is that the rule? And is also is that a reality? Can that happen? Uh, they have to build it out by December 15th. At least have the network ready so that it could make connections to residences. And um, it's very questionable about whether that is realistic because as I cover in my article, um, speaking with experts in the field, um, they talk about, sure, they could, you know, um, anyone can accelerate a process, but only within, so, you know, only within reason. So um, those that received the grant applications were really the ones that had, um, you know, access to the telephone pole. So Consolidated Communications owns a lot of telephone poles in New Hampshire. And I think what's an interesting point to this story is the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative is now entering into the broadband space with the announcement yesterday that they did receive grants to expand broadband in Colebrook and Lempster, where, and they own a majority of their telephone poles. They own 120,000 telephone poles in rural Northern New Hampshire. So um, I think that's a pretty significant piece of the story. Yeah, they, that was that was a pretty big deal earlier this year when uh, there was a group of uh, co-op members, you know, residents, who uh, pushed to, to uh, get the the uh, co-op to uh, to focus on broadband because that's not wasn't their mission. I mean, they were created it was created obviously during the, the depression, a rural electric cooperative, and it's always been electricity. But there's been a push to to do that and. They were, I'm not going to say, they weren't direct kicking and screaming. They were kind of saying, well, that's not our mission, but they've changed, the, they're changing their bylaws to actually uh, be able to build this stuff out, which is really interesting. I mean, it makes you wonder if that's another, uh, an avenue for maybe some other electric utilities. I, I wonder because Eversource does own a number of poles in the state, but I haven't heard anything about them um, seeking to enter this space. I think with the uh, New Hampshire Electric Cooperative, it really shows with having that co-op model, um, you know, having the residents band together to have this vote where uh, it was like 64% um, had voted in favor of the co-op entering the broadband space. That was just shy, they said, of technically the two thirds they would need to approve them to enter into the space, but the board still decided to move forward with it because it was so close and they've heard about this being complaint for years. Um, so it, they do need to still hold another vote 
to change their bylaws. So you would assume that hopefully that goes forward because I don't know how that could limit them with building out with these grants. And they're still learning too, in what capacity are they going to assist with building up broadband? Are they just kind of working with their contractors to put it up and they will hire um, an internet service provider to manage the network or you know, in what way will they be involved? There's also another organization that's involved in this, what's it called, Mission Broadband? Is that the organization? Now they're based in Maine, but they work with rural areas around New England or? They're a, private, they're a private consultancy. And so they have been working with a number of New Hampshire towns. Um, they wouldn't release their client list to me, but they had been working with New Hampshire towns to determine what is the best pathway forward. And I think especially during this time when um, you have kids learning remotely, um, some towns are trying to figure out, do they need to, um, you know, what can they do in the short term to improve internet access? And do they need to take certain steps where say they have a short term fix like um, wireless hotspots um, and then move on to building out fiber down the line? Though I, I did want to mention too, it's interesting because with this article, I mean, most towns are building out fiber, though I did speak with another um, sort of like private nonprofit consultancy um, in Vermont, they're called Rural Innovations, and they are working with Carroll County to, uh, they've just wrapped up a survey to determine uh, broad, what the broadband capacity is in that area and what their plans could be for the future. Um, but they tell me that where there is cable and they can build out cable, that is preferable just because uh, we don't want to duplicate too many networks. Um, but for the most part, towns will be looking at building up fiber because that's kind of the fiber um, degrade, cable degrades more than fiber does. So fiber is a better long-term solution. Yeah, I, that it also raises this question that I'm, I'm having is, it's great that they're building in these towns. What, what about when all this money runs out and there's X number of towns that, that don't have, don't, they haven't been able to get the money and they're not going to have broadband, but others will. Is there any kind of plan going forward after this to continue trying to uh, raise the funds to get Washington to, to give up some more money or something to, to, to really push this so everybody has broadband? It's not just uh, an, ac an accident of uh, timing. Really, the only long-term solution is that um, they're hoping that the federal government will allocate more money to uh, to build out broadband. And I will say the town of Sandwich, it was announced that they had applied for this CARES Act funding and they were being considered, but unfortunately their contract fell through. Um, I don't know. I know that the Consolidated Communications had proposed building out uh, fiber network for $2.3 million to them earlier this year, but obviously Consolidated also now is building out all these other towns that they've partnered with. So it, it shows too that when you're trying to quickly build in this time frame of December, um, it, it they, there's only so many resources, but looking down the line, I think they're hoping that more federal resources will help with building out fiber. Hopefully it doesn't take too long to get more funding. Is that now what what is that going on in Washington now? Uh, has the congressional delegation are they involved in trying to get the uh, pump uh, working again? <laughs> are they getting uh, yeah. some money? 
Senator Hassan has um, partnered with Chuck Grassley on a bill that would um, extend, well, first of all, extend the deadline of that December 15th. What it is is the broadband networks have to be finished by December 15th, but the state governments for all CARES Act funding need to respond to the federal government with what's been spent by December 30th. Um, so they're hoping to extend that deadline through 2021. Perhaps uh, Governor Sununu told me that perhaps they could then um, award more uh, funds for broadband if the deadline were extended. But then I have others such as when I spoke with um, the uh, with Mission Broadband, they had said that uh, they just kind of hope that in the future there might be another package from Congress. Yeah, yeah, I have to say that uh, uh, Chuck Grassley's a senator from Iowa, Republican, and uh, it's always interesting when New Hampshire and Iowa team up. They usually seem to get what they want. <laughs> certainly, in, in certain times, every four years or so. Anyway, uh, Lisa, thanks very much for this. And uh, was that Liam in the background? I heard. It was Liam, my Say husband, and Liam. <laughs> I will. Liam is uh, is Lisa and uh, Lisa's little son. And he's waiting for his mom. That's all. Anyway, <laughs> thanks very much. And Bob Sanders also thank you uh, earlier for for helping us learn about stuff. And uh, this is Jeff Feingold with uh, Ernesto Burden, our publisher and producer, uh, saying everybody take care. We'll see you next week.